Welcome to OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, president of Motor Minds and host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. The state of the supply base is anything but constant, whether during a post-pandemic world or before or even after. The term flux is a microcosm for an industry that thrives on challenges, opportunities, ingenuity, and change. And where we find today's suppliers is no different. What COVID delivered in terms of uncertainty, the issues of logistics, semiconductors, or labor shortages have just added to the mix, presenting more critical issues in the last year than the previous five combined. And that's not even including the massive switch to electric vehicles. Today, that minefield requires constant navigation. And at the heart of it all, OESA is helping suppliers find solutions and conquer obstacles. And there are plenty of opportunities for positive change. Offshoring has created the chance to reposition businesses, while tariffs and inflationary pressures have forced suppliers to think about their roadmap very differently in 2022 than they did even just two years ago. Julie Freem is president and CEO of the Original Equipment Suppliers Association, and her team is giving these issues continuous thought. She's my guest today on OESA's Automotive Insiders. Julie, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Happy to be with you today. Yeah, happy to have you. Let's start with the overall health of the supply base. Um, and, and I would even say uh, you know, OEMs in general, including tiered suppliers. What's your view on where we are now? It's been a while since you and I caught up. Uh, mm-hmm. probably last fall, where we where we did a bit of a deep dive into this. But give me your assessment on where we are today. Oh, well, you know. So it's a big were, question. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I need to think about it for a moment. But the we all had hoped, I'll say it that way, that by 2022 and well into 2022 now, that we ha- would be emerging from both the impact of COVID as well as the impact of a semiconductor crisis. Mm -hmm. And the industry is still feeling both along with another set of factors that is impacting it. Certainly inflation, the Ukraine-Russian war, um, labor shortages continue. So we are feeling all of those impacts. As far as the OEMs, they have been able to um, somewhat stabilize uh, some of their semiconductor supply. And I say it that way because they are still getting shorted. Um, You know, just speaking with some of them yesterday, um, they don't have everything they need. Um, They are able to allocate to their uh, higher content and therefore higher profit vehicles. So you see high profits coming from uh, the OEMs because of that. on the supply side, they're feeling all of that pain and don't have the opportunity to, I'll say, sell just their high content and just their higher margin um, products to the OEs. And so suppliers are in a little more difficult situation. They are really feeling uh, the impact of the inflationary issues, the downtime that's coming um, from the OEMs, as well as the impact of not having enough of the labor force available. Even still, um, they're struggling to keep uh, labor in their uh, facilities. 
So the industry, you and I both know, has always been riding somewhat of a roller coaster. It's always facing disruption. It's always facing some, you know, mini crisis that's around the corner. Why is this different? Mm, Good question. Um, I think one of the challenges here um, is the, uh, the it can't be predicted. And, and because of that, you can't really plan. So you may get a heads up from an OE as a supplier. You may get a heads up midweek or even later sometimes that the plant that you thought was going to run, the OE plant, therefore the parts you needed to supply, uh, you were going to run next week and now you don't need to. And um, that difficulty in predicting those up and down times and sort of the randomness of how they're uh, hitting the suppliers has really made it challenging for suppliers. Um, I think that that issue alone um, has created a lot of chaos. It's also led to that instability in the, in the workforce because you're laying off people, you're calling them back, um, it really has made things uh, challenging for them. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, all things at once that we've been dealing with here recently. Let's drill down into a couple of those specifics that you just mentioned. When will the semiconductor crisis be over? <laughs> You're going to go right on the record here, and we're going to stand right I'm by what you my say. Crystal ball here. That's right. I know you guys can't see it on this, but um, <laughs> no. Um, I think that the the answer to this is. Not as soon as we had thought and originally even hoped. And the reason why I say it that way is we really thought by uh, back in 2021, when this all sort of got going, we thought, oh, by 2022, we'll we'll have this figured out. And now we know it's going to go into 2023. We're going to continue to see shortages, shortfalls, challenges in the semiconductor um, uh, availability for the automotive segment through that time period. It may even go longer uh, in the sense that the automotive industry uses mature chips or sometimes called legacy chips, which are, um, they're a little older in terms of the manufacturing technology and the size of chips that are used, um, but they are the ones that are auto grade and uh, good to go for something as complex as an automobile. And so what we have seen is that capacity continues to decline as our semiconductor companies want to add the latest and greatest. So they're down to the three and the five nanometer chips instead of the larger nanometer chips um, that the auto industry typically uses. Amazing. You and I would never have thought a few years ago we'd be talking about nanometers, (laughs) nanometer chips. Exactly. You mentioned the labor shortage. Let's get into that other specific area. and Much has been written about it. How is that issue really impacting automotive suppliers? What are they feeling? Where are the solutions, Julie? Well, you know, two issues that that come to play with the labor shortage. Uh, the first is just the availability of people and getting people to come to work 
for the suppliers. And many of um, the suppliers, especially when you get to the smaller tiered suppliers, they have plants that are in, you know, rural parts of the Midwest. And just getting people back to work has been an enormous challenge for them. The other side of that equation is we're seeing significant wage increases uh, necessary to bring people back to work. So you, you see, you know, and we all see it. You can drive by the McDonald's or the Burger King and, you know, 1550 uh, to wanted. start. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the, the wage rates to do this type of manufacturing have gone up significantly. And so both of those factors are playing into um, some of the issues that suppliers are dealing with. So critical issues, let's, let's look out a little further. You mentioned crystal ball. So let's, let's look at it for, let's say the next three to five years. Mm-hmm. If we take the semiconductor crisis out of the picture, assuming that we get some kind of stability at some stage, if we think that labor will improve, what are the critical issues a little further out? Sure. Suppliers are um, balancing the uh, move to EVs uh, away from the internal combustion engine um, and many of them that supply parts for the internal combustion engine are looking at their product strategies and working to determine how to manage really both businesses. You have a business that is becoming a growth business, the EV business. At the same time, you have a business that may be somewhat in wind down mode or um, lower volume mode, but it's going to be a very long tail. And so suppliers have to figure out how to manage that. Um, And every supplier will have a different strategy. Some may say, I'm going to just focus on EVs and I'm going to sell the portion of my business that is the old internal combustion engine business. And we see some of that happening already. Or vice versa. They can say, I'm going to be a consolidator of the ICE business and I'm going to buy from others that are selling and... uh, That's going to be a real uh, moneymaker for me as this business slowly, like I said, long tail, slowly winds down. Um, At the same time, all suppliers have to be prepared to invest in the EV business. Even if your products are quote unquote the same, there's a different approach that's going into the EV vehicles than you see um, necessarily in the more traditional ICE vehicles. Well, it's here. I mean, it's been talked about for a long time, but the transition is underway. And I I think at last count, there were more than 100 models coming in the next 12 to 18 months. All manufacturers are in, whether it's regulation driving it or various other factors, the pipeline is filling. Is the supply base ready? supply base is getting ready. Um, You know, as you said, all of these launches in 12 to 18 months, the issue that the supply base is dealing with is where do you place your bets? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's no way that all of these launches and all of these new vehicles are going to truly be successful in the marketplace. 
And so it, it becomes a matter of looking at your risk profile as an individual company and determining how much of this you're going to do now and how much you're going to grow into. Very challenging for suppliers right now. Final question. Are you seeing uh, manufacturing moving from overseas? There was such an enormous globalization effort that occurred over the course of the last decade, if not more. But moving from overseas to the North American U.S. region to support North American activity. And related to EVs, we see so many announcements on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, frankly. EV battery development, EV manufacturing, greenfield sites. So are you are you seeing that, that there is an inshoring that's occurring? Slowly, yes. And um, I think what's happening... Um, is the OEMs are saying we would like to manufacture locally, you know, for suppliers to manufacture locally to supply our facilities. Now, they say that, and at the same time, there's the need to have the same cost, the same performance that you had wherever you were globally. Um, and that's a real challenge. Um, and so what you see is suppliers looking to uh, determine how they can do that, how they can meet the OEM's requirements, and at the same time move into um, a localized uh, manufacturing facility. Yeah, so, because for the longest time there was the chase for the for for the lowest denominator on wages, which obviously right. you know fueled profits, and that may not be the case here. Well, exactly. And so how do you make those trade-offs? Um, do you go to more robotics in your facility in North America? Is it a bigger investment? How do you do that? Um, those are all the decision points that need to be made. But I know from an OE perspective, they're looking to minimize their risk overall. And we've certainly seen a lot of risk with the global supply chain over the last two and a half years or so. A lot of risk, a lot of challenges, lots of opportunities. You're at the center of it all. Julie, it's so good to talk to you again. Thank you, Jason. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you again soon. <laughs> That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. Thanks again to Julie Freem, who's president and CEO of the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. And thanks for listening to OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>